Well, let's open the Bible. Um, Luke chapter 2 is what I'm going to be looking at today. So we're in December. Who can quite believe we're into December? Who has their Christmas tree up already? That was... That would suggest that you got it done before December. Is that acceptable? Should we take a vote? It is? It is? Today? Yes, it is. Uh, we're going to get a Christmas tree today because that feels like the right thing to do. Yes? When did you put yours up, Anna? Lovely. It looks good, doesn't it? Yeah. It does, yeah. Um, so with, with December starting, we're now also into Advent, uh, and so we're going we're gonna to follow on in Advent over the coming weeks, and Advent really is a season in the church for us to um, prepare and to um, kind of live with a sense of expectation or anticipation that, that Jesus um, you know, that Jesus is coming on Christmas Day. And we remember during this season um, those people of old who were looking forward with anticipation to the coming Messiah, this day when Jesus would be born. And that, but then we ourselves are caught up in a, in a sense of anticipation and expectation as we await the second coming of Jesus. And so during this season, we remember that we are people who patiently wait our Messiah. Um, and we live in the now and the not yet. We have... We have we have received Christ, but we await his return. And so uh, that's what we're going to be kind of focusing in on um, as a church over the coming weeks, kind of fostering that sense of anticipation and expectation as we career towards Christmas. And we remember and celebrate that moment in history when, when God broke into our very existence as a baby and then who went on to change everything forever. And so when we light these candles, what we're doing is we're remembering different people of the Old Testament and the New who remember. So today would be the patriarchs, the fathers, Abraham and David. Remember um, that these were, these were people who were, were of faith and through whom, whose family line Jesus was born. And next week, uh, Rich Dinsdale is going to be preaching on the prophets and what they were saying about the Messiah. But today what I want to focus on is joy, um, not Joy Wilson, um, although that could be a good thing to do. Uh, <laughs> but uh, if, you, if you look at the flyers, David Wilson certainly would agree with that. But the, um, the, the flyer, you'll see, is, is good news of great joy for all people or for this Christmas in Felton. And what I want to focus in on um, as a church this, this time around. So last year, we looked at the same passage, Luke chapter 2, verse 10, which is this moment when the angels speak to the shepherds. Um, and uh, we focused in on the good news and how there are people in our world that are just they're longing for some good news. Give me some good news. Um, and I thought, well, the next thing to do would be to look at the great joy. And there, there seems to be a longing um, in our society, in our culture, for deep joy to bubble up. And that's what we want to be sharing with Felton. We want to be telling them of the good news that will bring great joy to their life. So let's have a look at this passage. So it's Luke chapter 2, verse 4 to 19. It says this, So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. And he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. 
While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Then suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, can you imagine it? Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, well, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And so they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what they had been, what they had been told, what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured all these things, treasured these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Let me say a quick prayer, and then I'll dive into this passage. Lord, thank you for your words. I simply ask, Lord, that, that today, as we look at this passage and as we consider the good news we ask today that you would give us joy. May that bubble up in us this morning as we gather in Jesus' name. Amen. So the focus passage is Luke chapter 2, verse 10. And it's when the angels came to the shepherds, which is, when you think about it, utterly bonkers. Because if, if I were God, and it's... It's a good thing for everybody, I'm not. But if I was, and I was going to tell somebody that, that God had come to earth in the form of a child, I'd be telling the kings. I'd be telling the most influential people about, um, so that the word could spread as quickly as possible. I'd tell the powers of the day, the Instagrammers who uh, were around at the day, so that, so that the word got out quickly. But he chose the shepherds. God chose the shepherds. And the shepherds, is, if, if, you, if you've looked at um, this story before, which I'm sure many of you have, were, were, were the social outcasts, really. They were the last and the least. They were, they were looked at as the worst in their culture. And it was them that God told first. And they, even that, in that little bit there, there's a sermon, isn't there, that, that isn't it amazing? That the good news of Jesus, the most precious news that we hold on to as a church, was first told to the shepherds. And, and for them, the response as you read this passage is that they experienced great joy. Even the shepherds, even the outcasts, even those who the, the society had disqualified. And, and if it's good enough message, if it's good news to the shepherds, it's good enough. It's good news for us today. Um, and so uh, we can take heart. We can know that this good news is good news for you this Christmas. <clears throat> and so they said, the shepherd, sorry, the angels said to the shepherds, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. 
So the arrival of Jesus, which is good news, will bring great joy. And so what is joy? Uh, I've spent a moment uh, just unpacking a tiny bit of what what the kind of biblical understanding of joy is, um, and then uh, think about what that might mean for us as a church, particularly when we think about Christmas going forward. Um, it's, It's a tricky word to define. I've spent a bunch of time looking at all sorts of dictionaries and websites and the Bible and all sorts of things to try and get a definition of joy um, that will be a good one for us to work from. Um, It is, joy is a feeling and an emotion, but it is distinct from happiness. I think that's important to say. Um, Happiness is dependent on happenings. It's kind of a a reaction to something that's happening in the moment. It's circumstantial. Happiness is kind of fleeting, isn't it? We we know that. There are times when we feel happy. There's times when we feel sad. Um, Happiness is circumstantial. Joy, on the other hand, is more defiant than happiness. Uh, it is, it's, like a, it's like an enduring happiness despite our circumstances. Um, joy is a feeling or emotion that perseveres. It remains even in the midst of pain and sorrow. It isn't detached from reality, though. It's not like you're, you're happy because you're blissfully unaware of what's actually going on in your life. It is grounded in reality. It's not naive. Um, it, it, real joy knows the pain and the sorrow and, and per- persists, continues regardless. And so for the Christian, joy really is grounded in the future and outworked in the present regardless of our circumstances. Hope is is what produces joy in our hearts. Um, It's deep, it's powerful, it's beautiful, and it doesn't disappoint us. And so if you look at um, there's a couple of examples in Scripture that help kind of define this kind of um, this future and yet now aspect of joy that makes it this defiant force in our lives. So Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, um, the writer says of Jesus, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. And then sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. There's a sense in which Jesus joyfully went to the cross. He joyfully endured the shame of the cross because he knew what it was it was doing. There's a bigger picture aspect of, um, of, of what Jesus was going through. So he saw the bigger picture. He saw the good that would be achieved. And so he joyfully went to the cross. Um, in James verse 1 and 2, there's an encouragement to the church about um, trials. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, and let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And so as we encounter life and the difficulties and the trials and whatever it might might be, um, joy uh, is, is, it can be present because it holds on to um, the bigger picture of what Christ has achieved, what he has done, that he will come again. It's grounded in the, the future realization of the kingdom, but it's outworked in our present situation. That's why it's defiant. It's why it perseveres through our circumstances. Um, and so it's an emotion or a feeling that is fueled by anticipation. And it's fueled 
by the hope that God gives us through Jesus Christ. It is, it is grounded in the reality, in the Christian belief that God has prevailed and will prevail. That the good news of Jesus Christ is actually good news. And the good news of Jesus Christ gives us hope. And when we have hope, um, joy begins to bubble up. And what produces hope? Well, love. The love of God. The good news is that God loves us. That, you know, last week, the order of operations. We want to get, that's our starting point as a Christian. We are loved. It's the starting point for all creation. God loves. And then through Jesus, his perfect life, death, and resurrection, he has dealt with and defeated the sin and the brokenness in our, in our world once and for all. And so now we live in this eager, hopeful, joyful expectation that all things will be made new. This is the promise of Revelation 21, where the pain and the sorrow and the tears will be all washed away. That these things do not have the final word in our lives. There will be a moment where heaven um, will invade earth. That God will be with his people once more. That creation will return or be renewed to how it was intended, healed and whole. And so joy is a gift from God in the waiting or in the anticipation. And it is one that remains with the Christian regardless of the circumstances. It's a joy that will get us through. And we need it, actually. And I think the world needs it. The world needs this joy that comes from knowing that in the end, it will all be made right, renewed, good. This is temporary. My brother came over the other day, and we have this little blackboard in our kitchen. Um, and and I, I try to put Bible verses on it quite regularly to encourage um, us as a family. Uh, trouble is, I don't change it. I probably put one in, and then it stays there for about three years. Um, but he changed it the other day um, to a passage from 1 Thessalonians 5.16, the NLT version, um, which is New Living Translation, which said, he wrote, always be joyful. Always be joyful joyful. And that's been in our kitchen for ages. And in anticipation of this message, I, I saw that blackboard again. Always be joyful. And I got thinking, particularly in light of what has happened, you know, in, on London Bridge. And it, it, particularly, you know, when we consider some of the stuff that goes on in our lives and in this world. I found myself saying, gosh, that's easier said than done, isn't it? Always be joyful. Easier said than done. And, and you'd be forgiven, and you might be thinking, you know, that, you know, is that kind of joy, being joyful always, is that actually possible? And many in our society, you know, in and around Felton, um, would, would say that this, uh, this aspiration to live a life that is marked by joy is actually more a utopian dream and not grounded in real life, totally detached from the reality that we find ourselves in. And I think it's true, and, and I know it, and, and many of us know it here, that, that life can be hard and painful, disappointing, not quite work out as you expected. 
and that hope that produces joy um, can be very difficult to find sometimes, even as a Christian. Um, I know this deep down. And so that's why I think having, having a focus in and joy over these coming weeks will be a blessing, I'm hoping, to our town, but also to us, that there might be God in his grace and his mercy might shift something in us and that we might know joy and be able to do, as that passage says, be joyful always. And, you know, you look at our society right now, and I've written a bunch of things down, but I won't, I won't go through them all now, because I think we know that there are, there, there are, I mean, for once, you know, we, in the UK, we have a loneliness minister now, don't we? The, the, the minister for sport and civil society now is responsible for tackling loneliness. Loneliness is an epidemic in our society. Nine million people say they always or often feel lonely. And there's so many other things. But so it feels like in this moment, our, our society, our culture needs joy. And when you read John 10:10, 10, 10, um, Jesus says, "The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And the enemy, the thief, he is doing that. He's doing that for Christians, for our society. He, right before our very eyes, he is robbing us of our God-given joy, and it's hurting us, and actually, I think he needs to be stopped, and I think, so I think, I think it's, it feels timely that we, as a church, take a moment, and to consider joy, and how it can be outworked in our lives, and what sort of difference that could make in us, because Jesus then says in John 10, 10, um, I have come that they may have life, and life to the full, and fullness of life is one marked with joy. So how does Jesus, the good news of Jesus, um, bring great joy to our lives? Just a couple of quick thoughts for you. Um, Firstly, um, what we celebrate at Christmas is that Jesus is Emmanuel. God is with us. He's with us. His presence is is with us. We get the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And by Jesus coming to earth, as we celebrate at Christmas, um, Jesus makes himself no stranger to the pain and the suffering that this world throws at a person. What we go through, the suffering, the pain, the sorrow, the disappointment, Jesus endured firsthand. He, he, doesn't, he has integrity when it comes to the things that we face. And so he draws alongside us and he effectively says to us, I know how you feel. Because Jesus, he was rejected, he was despised, he was abused, and ultimately he was killed. And so his presence in us by the Holy Spirit is great comfort to us regardless of what is going on. And so when we invite God's presence into us, we are inviting a God who knows what it's like to be suffering and can comfort us in the midst of us and strengthen us by his presence and give us joy. He knows how we feel. I felt there was a really good illustration of this, and so I'd love to hand out a piece of paper. If you could take one each. Just 
pass them around and then uh, pass some pens around. saw this illustration years ago, um, just a little thing that reminds us um, how God is with us. So if, once you've got a pen and a piece of paper, um, if you could, uh, just for silliness' sake, take the pen, put it in the hand that you don't normally write with, and write on that piece of paper, I know how you feel. So on the piece of paper, with the hand you don't normally write with, so it looks a little bit silly, have to concentrate, a little bit difficult. Write on it, I know how you feel. How easy is everyone finding it? I've picked a pen that doesn't work. Can you believe it? Not not only is it the wrong hand, it's the wrong pen. You know how I feel. Your pen looks like it's working fine. Okay, so this is what we're going to do. Hold on one second. This is a lot harder than I remember. I can't believe you, most of you write with your right hand all the time. It's nearly impossible. So, what I want you to do now, you've got, I know how you feel, piece of paper. If you, so I just want you to put your card up in the air, if you can relate to the following statement. You know what it's like to endure a bad hair day. Now, I want you to find someone that has their hand up and swap your card with that person. In a moment of relating, you know how you feel. So stand up, swap a card with someone, and then take a seat. Okay. Second one. Put your hand up in the air with your card if you know what it's like to have broken a bone in your body. Yes. Right. Now, stand up if you've got your hand up and, and swap a card with, that, with the person who, who has experienced that. Okay, now put your hand up, and this is where, where it gets, you know, this is, we'll go a bit deeper, shall we? Um, put your hand up if you are someone um, who, there's someone in your life who you love is unwell at the moment. Go and swap your card.
Is everyone swapped? All right. No, you didn't swap? Come on. Okay, put your hand and put your hand up in the card if um, you got an, an, an unexpected bill recently caused you a bit of stress. your card up in the air if at some point in the past 12 months you've experienced some level of loneliness. Swap card. I mean, we could go on for ages, but let's do one more. Put your card up if you... um, have struggled or do struggle with some degree of mental illness in your life in, in any time, not, not in the last 12 months, but it's been something that, that, that has been part of your journey. Okay, swap a card. There's something rather special, isn't there, when we say to each other, I know how you feel. And it's really interesting, actually, in this little exercise where often, as we hand over the card, we have a smile on our face, even though some of the things that we're relating to each other is really tough and personal. And this, I think, starts to highlight what joy is about and what God has done for us by coming to earth. He says, I know how you feel. And one of the great gifts that the church has with the presence of God living in us is that we can say to each other and to the world, I know how you feel. And when you do that, when you, when, when you have that kind of presence around you, when you have God inside of you knowing how you feel, hope begins to rise. And then joy begins to rise. It's not detached from reality. It's, it's something that uh, persists in the midst of reality. It doesn't reduce the pain and the sorrow in our lives. It doesn't at all. It acknowledges it. And, it, and, and together we, we stand with each other and say, I know how you feel. One of my favorite prayers is to, is to pray that may the God of hope Fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. You'd overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That when God fills you, when his presence, Emmanuel, God with us, the God who knows, fills you with hope, joy begins to bubble up. And so one of the evidences you find with um, when the Holy Spirit is in work in you um, is joy. And so my encouragement to you is this. Um, Spend time in his presence. Um, Invite God to fill you by his Holy Spirit and allow him to be with you and ask him to give you joy, whatever you're going through. And do that for each other as well. Allow God to use you and your relationships um, to bring about joy. 
Um, so that's the, that's the first thing that enables us to have joy, is that we, Emmanuel, God is with us. He knows what's going on. Secondly, um, the thing that gives us joy in Christmas is we remember that he is Messiah. He is um, the promised one, the rescuer, um, the one who loves and saves. Um, and it's, it's, it's our, our, our joy is grounded in this hope um, that uh, we have in Jesus. It's not, it's not a dream or a wish, like I hope for ice cream. The, the, the Christian hope is one grounded in what God has said, what Jesus has done, what the Holy Spirit is doing. And so it's better described as a strong and confident expectation that we look for with anticipation that what Jesus, our Messiah, has done on the cross has given us life and freedom and hope. And so one of my favorite passages, this, you know, when I, when I think about the hope that we have in Jesus, and I read this and it gives me joy as I look to the future. Um, Revelation 21, I keep going back to it. One of my favorite passages says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. The love of God outworked in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection has made a way. He has overcome the brokenness and the sin in the world. And so our joy and our hope is grounded in the fact that when Jesus says it is finished, it is. That sin, death, disease won't win. It's not how the story ends. And hope, this hope in what Jesus has achieved for us on the cross will not disappoint you. So our joy is, is, is grounded in the reality that Jesus is with us, Emmanuel. Jesus is our Messiah. He saved us um, from the brokenness and the sin within. And so the next thing that I'd love to uh, propose to you is that when passages in the Bible say, choose joy or rejoice in the Lord always, um, what this is, is it's a decision or a choice or a posture. Make joy your posture. In light of the reality that, that God is with you and he knows what you're going through. In light of the fact that Jesus is your Messiah and he saved you and restoring you and will bring you into his kingdom forever with him. Then make joy your posture. Um, have, have any of you listened to Brené Brown before at all? She's pretty cool, isn't she? And she, she I, I think she's like, she's a smarty pants really, isn't she? Um, but she, she said this, the relationship between joy and gratitude was one of the most important things I found in my research and I wasn't expecting it. In my 12 years of research on 11,000 pieces of data, I did not interview one person who had described themselves as joyful who also did not actively practice gratitude. For me, it was a very counterintuitive because I went into the research thinking that the relationship between joy and gratitude was, if you are joyful, you should be grateful. But it wasn't that way around. 
Instead, practicing gratitude invites joy into our lives. I was reading this, I was like, that's amazing. Because the Bible affirms that, right? How often are we told to remember the things that God has done and give thanks for what he's done? Like Psalm 136, give thanks to the Lord for his good, his love and jewels forever. Give thanks to the God of God, God of gods, his love and jewels forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, his love and jewels forever. And then Paul says, rejoice always, pray continually and give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ. And so I think that the encouragement is you adopt a posture of joy. It really is to do two things. Remember who God is and what he's done for you in Christ. And f- give thanks. And, and, and even in the darkest moments, there will be something that you can give thanks for. Even if it's just your breath. And so remember to give thanks for what the Lord has given you. Even if it's just a little thing. Because this will remind you that you're loved. And because of his great love, it will remind you that you have hope. And when you remember that you have hope, joy follows. And so uh, that would be my encouragement to you. Gratitude. Give thanks to the Lord. Be grateful for the things that you see in your life. Even if it's just one thing. There's lots of things that you're like, oh, that's really hard. But there's one thing. Give thanks and joy will follow. And then the last uh, thing um, is I'd love to encourage you then, if this is our posture, our posture is to be joyful, um, then can I encourage you to share it? Um, I feel like joy is like an act of defiance or it's a prophetic voice in our culture today. And uh, when, the, when, when the church chooses joy, when the church realizes that the good news of Jesus Christ brings joy, it transforms things. It's one of the main purposes, really, of the church. I, I was reflecting on something Paul writes in Philippians. Um, he writes, For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm going to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. But what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it's necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain. I will continue with all of you, uh, sorry, continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. The reason that Paul uh, stuck around (laughs) is because he had a job to do. Uh, And that was to tell people the good news of Jesus Christ that would produce joy. And so I'd love us to be thinking about what does it look like for us as Christians in our workplaces, in our families? Um, What does it look like for us as a church here in Felton to be people of joy, people who bring joy to our town? And so our goal over the coming weeks is to uh, try and do things that are going to be fun, um, things that aren't intense. We're going to have a petting zoo. I mean, animals bring joy, right? Um, We're going to make sure we laugh a lot. We're going to make sure that we create things. We sing carols. We hang out together. We laugh. Um, What we want to do is have a posture of gratitude and joy um, and that we show the people of Felton, um, those who turn up. Um, The church is not intense. It's not a sad place. Um, it is grounded in the reality of the pain and sorrow of life, but in the midst of that, we have joy that per- persists, remains, regardless of the circumstance. 
And I can tell you that that is what a lot of people find incredibly attractive. Like, why are you so happy? Why, you know, what is going on for you? And the reason is because we have God at work in us. And so it's something that we need to share. So there, there are four quick things that hopefully will produce more joy in our lives. One is to remember that God is with us, that God has saved us, that, that, that he, you know, we've been, we've been told to be joyful, so choose a posture of, of joy. And then lastly, let's share it. Why don't we pray?